Welcome to the Nomad Podcast. With me today is author, podcaster, and pastor Jim Wilhelmson. Jim has been an expert in the field of aliens, UFOs, presenting a biblical perspective for at least the last 25 years. Jim, I so appreciate you and your spirit and perspective. It is a pleasure to meet you and to get to chat with you today. Thanks for joining us. How are you? Well, thanks for having me. I'm doing fine. Crazy busy, but fine. <laughs> Yeah, so what what have been kind of the, the recent things you've been up to? I know you've talked a lot about uh, potentially traveling and uh, doing talks and stuff. Did you end up getting to do any of that? Well, you know, it, I was supposed to go to uh, Great Britain and uh, give a anthropological, uh, what was it, the archaeological and anthropological uh, discussion on the hollow earth and giants. And... Uh, Hardly anybody, because of the COVID thing, hardly anybody was actually able to make it physically there. And of course, for me to go over there, I would have taken the poke and nothing's going to be poked in my brain that has anything to do with Bill Gates or uh, uh, Pfizer, Mondura or any any of those uh, demonic acts. So that wasn't going to happen. And fortunately, it didn't have to happen. Um, they canceled everything. and They just gave a, a like a brief video presentation on Zoom. And that was the extent of it. So it was really smaller than anything that they had hoped or desired. They reviewed the whole program and then decided, okay, what we are going to do is we're going to pay your way completely. You know, all you have to do is just say you're going to come and we'll pay for everything. You just come. And now recently, Great Britain has just uh, closed all the doors with uh, with all of the uh, proof of anything. I seriously, I wanted to go there bad enough that uh, if I had to find illegal papers and buy them to prove that I, you know, had a uh, vaccination or something, I was going to do that. But I'm, I'm not putting nanobots in my body. I'm sorry. I just, you know, they don't agree with me. I know too much about what's really going on with it. So it, it, it ended up happening, but you know, it's everything in God's timing. Uh, now, next year I'll go, I'm not going to be going alone. I'm going to have a few people, uh, that are part of my ministry coming with me. I've got some people that I, I know all over the world, uh, gosh, from Iceland, from uh, uh, several places in Europe. They're, they are wanting to have a chance to finally actually see me live. So they're all coming to the show or to the conference. And, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's humbling, you know, to see that <clears throat> I've, in Europe, I've got the, um, reputation i guess as being the go-to guy about a hollow earth and the and the giants and what's inside it probably because i got maybe a 20-year jump on most people on this stuff too my first sermon i ever gave on genesis 6 the whole paradigm was in 1978 there was probably only five people in the entire world that had any understanding of a biblical reference to the idea of UFOs or aliens or, you know, the giants and the hollow earth and stuff like that. And I was talking about all that stuff back then. So it's been yeah, with me a long definitely, time. <laughs> I've definitely heard you talk about hollow earth and you have uh, a lot of really great insight there. Would you mind kind of giving people a, a general uh, thesis on, on what hollow earth is if they haven't heard about it? Yeah. Um, well, you know, what I what I tell people anymore is that, that there are so many scriptures and actual proofs of how 
the cosmology exists in the Bible, that we're taking it out of speculation. We're taking it out of um, theory or theology because that theology only means it's a theory, an unproven, untested idea. Um, this is sound doctrine. And we get it right from the words of Jesus himself uh, when he was describing uh, Lazarus and the rich man. And he was describing that um, Lazarus died and went to the uh, Abraham's bosom. And the rich man died and went into the lower levels of or the highest level of the lower level of hell. And there was a chasm between them. They could see each other. <clears throat> and they could converse, but they couldn't cross one to the other because of this chasm that separated them. So we begin to get a, a, an idea of a cosmology here. Now, when he says Abraham's bosom, you can go to a lot of your commentaries, Bible commentaries, and they'll say, oh, this was just the, the fondness that God had for Abraham's faith and, and belief and everything. No, 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 no. Um, in history, a common knowledge thing 3,000 years ago, lost in our modern society, when people wore robes like a toga, they would tie it uh, with a sash around the waist, and then the forepart they called the bosom. And so when you went shopping, you used that as a shopping cart, and you stuffed food and whatever you're, you're getting in this pocket of your apparel. So bosom was always identified as an inner pocket. So when um, Jesus as it's described, Abraham's bosom is totally meaning an inside pocket, not anything else. It's a literal physical thing. The other thing we learn, you know, in, in the rules of engagement, interpreting the Bible in uh, uh, just a basic course in hermeneutics, which is that the Bible will always interpret itself by itself. And so you have to look at all the other scriptures or references to possibly the same thing. When Jesus was dying on the cross, the thief asked him, Remember me when you come into your kingdom. He said, this day shall you be with me in paradise. So okay, that's problematic right there. Paradise, we're saying, oh, that he went to heaven. No, that's not where he went. Peter said, he that first, uh, he that ascended into heaven, first descended into the bowels of the earth. And so if that's what happened, then where did he go when he died for those three days? He went to the upper chamber and set the captivities the, the captive captivity spree. So that was like a holding tank for all those that died in faith. This was like a holding tank waiting for when Jesus would become the bridge that would gap God between man. And now being that bridge to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord as Paul stated. So there's a major change in everything that happened on heaven and earth. And so what happened when Jesus first went in three days, then rose again, some of the Old Testament saints that were in this holding tank didn't go right to be to heaven. They went into Jerusalem and proclaimed the resurrection. And this was such a historical, accurate situation that even Josephus, when he wrote his book and giving an account of, in his day, recent current events, he couldn't avoid the fact that over 400 people saw Jesus after he had claim to have a resurrection and that people had this supernatural encounter of people that that uh, made this proclamation who were dead and now they're appeared to be back alive. So he, the best said was the least said. So he just makes a mere description of it. But the fact that he's a historian trying to get back in good with with the Jews because he was a Roman citizen, um, he included that in, Jose in his book, Josephus, Antiquity of the Jews. So we have a lot of different references and sources to prove this idea of a 
uh, an inner earth. Now, there was one book written by an account scholar. And see, I don't, you know, so many people are afraid to look at both sides of a coin. Oh, well, you're a Christian. You got to stay with just Christian books. Well, if you do, you know what? You're never going to find out what's really going on. Your enemy has a plan. He has written it down. So I want to study my enemy as well as knowing the word of God. So when I look at Jocelyn Goodwin's um, Arctos, the Nazi escaped to the Antarctic. What the heck does that have to do with Bible prophecy? Oh, you better believe most of it, a lot of it. And in there, he, now he, what I found interesting in his book is that he didn't even necessarily believe in this Nazi escape to the Antarctic. And he was looking at it just as a, a purist researcher. He didn't believe it, but then he wanted to, to address all the possible evidences. And as he's writing the book, you can see that he's starting to change his ideas and his conclusions were, I still don't believe this. I don't, it seems too impossible, but yet all the evidence would suggest that this is literally what happened. He quoted in 18, um, 1889, um, the cosmic problem solved, K is cosmic with K, um, by an H.M. Howell. He was a, um, uh, an American theologian, and he wrote a book talking about the hollow earth, quoted all the scriptures that I had found that I believe the Lord showed me, and it really verified everything. Now, I couldn't find this book for a long time. I thought, well, is this guy just making this up or what? One of my friends who was a researcher for me, he found it in the New York Library, the only known existent copy of that book. And you could get a PDF file for free. All you have to do is ask for it. So I got it. I read it. I was amazed. It's all the scriptures he had are the ones that the Lord showed me. He was showing how paradise was actually inside the earth. Many things that are happening over in the Middle East have nothing to do with Bible prophecy. It's all happening on this side of the hemisphere and most of it in the Antarctic. So when you see that the eight years that Obama was uh, uh, president and he was going down, um, the uh, head of the um, Archdiocese of the Russian Church went down there. Um, many other dignitaries all over the world, some of ours, they all went down there to the Antarctic. Now, they weren't going down there to, pet, to feed penguins. They were interested in what was down there and what was going on. What was happening was one of the ocean currents started slowing down and it was causing, and it wasn't global warming. It was, it was the ocean current was slowing down and causing the ice to start melting in, in the Antarctic. All of a sudden pyramids are showing. There's apparently what looks like to appear to be a city under this ice. Now, there's four miles of ice co covering the, the surface. And all of a sudden, all this stuff starts appearing. And the thing is, it wasn't buried in salt water so that it's all rusted, crusted junk. This was buried in uh, or frozen in um, uh, just regular fresh water. So the idea is if you get a computer and it's, you sop it wet, if you just unplug it, let it all dry out, start it back up. It works just like brand new. Um, so this, they're realizing there's technology down there that is in pristine shape. They know what they're looking at. They're looking at Atlantis. They're looking at the city of Atlantis in the Antarctic. Antarctic. Look at it in all the science fiction movies. Look at how everybody, I mean, I don't care whether it's X-Files or whether it's uh, uh, Stargate or, Jesus, uh, so many different uh, things. It all ends up in the Antarctic. Why? Because that's really where it's happening. Um, do, you, so do you think that there are then uh, both sort of paradise and uh, hellish landscapes in the earth? Yes. Like and, okay. Absolutely. You know, uh, in 1994, I think I'm, I could be wrong. Uh, I got the book in my other room, but it's uh, it was the uh, they had a 
kind of a think tank, including just about everybody they could find that had anything to do with alien abduction. That was the main thing topic they were talking about. And they all concluded uh, several things that actually verified the Bible. And one of them was that, that it appeared that almost all abductions and everything ultimately ended up inside the earth. And, uh, and they concluded that there's, there's more activity happening. There was less evidence to show that anything was going extraterrestrial. No one ever saw themselves leaving the earth or going into an alien world. They were always going into a cave or in the ocean and then into a subterranean domain. And that subterranean domain sometimes was sparse like a desert. Other times it was uh, uh, just like a, a, a lush jungle with uh, uh, super futuristic type cities. So when I see the narrations in the Bible, uh, the sentence to Cain, where he went, why he went, how he went, um, in the land of Nod, east of Eden. So if Eden is on the inside of the earth and they're just east of it, it's inside the earth where everything is reversed. So it's actually the east is actually the west. So it's on the western continent, just where we have to see and know of more stories about large Caucasian giants that once roamed the earth. And there's, oh, that that is so politically incorrect to say that they were Caucasian. Well, I, you can't argue with the uh, fossil records. I've got this in my museum. I've got a picture of a pre-flood 30-foot tall giant. I got the post-flood giants that were only, uh, at best, maybe 12 feet, but most of them were average about seven, seven and a half feet. And, uh, and it explains all the different theories and ideas of who the uh, Nephilim actually were as compared to you know, there's three different characters here. There's the sons of gods, there's the Nephilim, and there's the Gabor. But you never hear about the Gabor. But that's something, you know, there's three different entities here, and nobody's dealing with the Gabor. They all point to the, the Nephilim saying um, that they were the offspring, you know, of the sons of God and the daughters of men and different things. Well, I have all three of the skeletal remains, all of the evidence post-pre-flood uh, pre or post-flood. Um, none of it lines up as what is properly taught. So, I go through and have a presentation. I got a couple of videos out, but of course you can't watch them on YouTube anymore because I was one of the first to get booted off of YouTube in 2017. Um, they booted me off because uh, basically it was on everything that I had about Adolf Hitler. And this was during the time when Hunting Hitler series on History Channel was popular. And of course they're saying that he survived and lived to a jolly old age in Argentina somewhere. And I'm going, BS. That's not even anywhere near the truth. He died according to the scriptures in Daniel 11th chapter, and he rose again according to other uh, scriptures uh, later on in the book, of, whether it be the book of Job, book of Daniel. Um, it's all over there about this guy that was once is, is not, and yet is. It's a person, not an empire that comes, that dies and then comes back to life, not according to God's ways, um, which says that you know that you have to have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. But uh, Satan and his minions are liars. It's what they do. It's their nature. So they're going to find ways to break laws and do things. And so this dead man comes back to life, circumventing God's requirements. He that has the son has life. He that has not the son has not life. Well, he found a way to be able to do it. How? Cloning. All the different technologies that we're finding out now. Things like transhumanism. All these things. It happened before. It's happening all over again. It's a replay in our time. So we're, we're living in exciting times. We're living in times that we have passed down a lot of traditions of men and made them sound doctrine. What I always warn people is anything that hasn't happened yet, 
haven't we learned yet that uh, if we think we can take a little pamphlet, fold it out, and tell you, well, this is going to happen, this is going to happen, this is going to happen. That's what the Pharisees did when they were looking right at Jesus and say, well, when Messiah comes, he's going to do this, he's going to do this. There they are looking right in the face, their whole desire that they've ever wanted to see, and they reject him. So we're not any different. We do the same darn thing. We have our little pamphlets out. We have our preconceived ideas of how the future is going to be played out. And right about the time you think you got it all figured out, you better start reexamining uh, and go to God and ask him because he's going to show you you don't have anything figured out. And there's a wisdom behind that. If we had everything all written out for us ahead of time, who, where would our reliance be? It wouldn't be in a relationship with God. We would know that these events are going to happen and that's the way it's going to be. Uh, God wants us to be daily dependent upon him and him alone. So he's kept certain things away from our understanding until they start to unfold after the fact many times. Not trying to backpedal for prof those that you know, have prophetic gifting. I certainly am uh, one that has a prophetic gifting. But I also realize with wisdom, I guess it comes by making a lot of stupid mistakes. But um, I realize now that our dependency has to be on him. He's holding back information, not because he's playing games, because he knows our fragile, gullible nature. We're going to always you know, be deceived and sidetracked by putting our faith more in events than in him. So, well, and I look at I look at that as a gift, right? It's I mean, mystery is one of the greatest parts about our existence, in my opinion. If if we knew everything, I, I don't feel like it would be very much fun, you know. There's always something to seek and learn and grow, and if you didn't have space for that, you know, then you wouldn't be able to do that. Um, that's just my the way I look at it. Is I look at that sort of that whole, I guess you would call it, as a gift and. I think another part of that is that God wants us to want to be in his kingdom. He doesn't want to force anything on anybody because he is such a gracious God. And so he has a perfect will and a permissible will, which allows us to make our choices. And if we want to be in his kingdom, then we can be. Exactly. And, and that's it. He's not going to be forceful. He's not going to be pushy. He'll, he'll be ever beckoning and calling and requesting and inviting, but he's not going to force himself. You know, we had an argument one time in, at my church, uh, uh, whether speaking in tongues was essential or not. And uh, one person says, well, I believe in all the gifts, but I don't want that tongue stuff. That's I don't understand. It. It's crazy stuff. That's not it's not for today. And one, this one friend of mine, gal, she laughed and she says, look, if you don't want it, you don't have to get it. God's not going to force you. If you don't want it, you can still believe in him. You can still believe in all the gifts. But uh, if you don't want to speak in tongues, don't worry. He's not going to make you speak in it if you don't want it. Don't worry about it. You're not going to get it. She says, but me, I prefer because I, I need it. I want it. And if you know about that part, it is, I think, essential. But it's certainly not anything to divide ourselves about and not get all flustered about. Just like, you know, some of the arguments, uh, what was I, you know, was I predestined to have this shirt or was it given to me by my own choice? Who the heck cares? The fact is you got a shirt. We're all here. We're all in the same situation. Let's quit arguing about whether it was predestined or, or uh, done by free will. We're all here. Now let's get together, be in unity, and go do what God told us to do. Go into all the world and preach the gospel of the kingdom of God. Then the end shall come. I don't know about you, but I want the end to come. I want all this crazy, sick, weird madness to be done. I want that uh, Satan and all his minions to quit hiding behind rocks and playing spook games. Was, come out and let's face you face to face. We're going to whoop your butt. And yeah. I can't wait for that battle. So we're, we're here. We're actually here now. I, you know, I wrote my book 25 years ago, and I had stuff on there that people thought I was just bat crap crazy, 
And uh, now history is catching up and they're going, oh, my gosh, Wilhelmson's right. Now, not because Wilhelmson showed you all the scriptures, because you just saw the video on, on uh, YouTube or you just saw it on the Ancient Aliens program or the History Channel. It's like, <laughs> now you got to be on one of those for you guys to finally believe me. Yeah, well, on, on there, you know, there's, they present a lot of stuff, but like you've talked about, it seems like they always add little bits and pieces that just twist it, you know, make kind of put you on the wrong path, in my opinion. Yep, 98% uh, uh, truth and that little bit, that 2% of arsenic, just enough to take you down the wrong path and take you away from God. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, <laughs> you understand the enemy, too. He has to, as God spoke everything into his ex existence, they have to speak before it's actually done. They used to encrypt it in movies, cartoons, and stuff like that. But now they're coming boldly right out and just telling you exactly in detail what their plan is because they think they have won. This is why the whole Russo, where our country is now, we're, di we're divided over who actually won the election. Um, certain things had to happen in order for evil to be seen on a global basis and be abhorred by it. And so that's what we're seeing now. It's all part of God's plan. He... He's got it all figured out and he's going to win. So Amen. there's what's going on in politics that people are angry, frustrated, or fearful of. I'm like Alfred E. Newman. Remember Alfred E. Newman from the Mad Magazine? Um, uh, no, I'm not familiar. <laughs> uh, I forget sometimes I'm uh, like 70 years old and uh, <laughs> I'm talking, set the way back machine. Everybody that remembers, you know, you're near my age or at least 55 or something, you'll probably remember. Mad Magazine has had this little redheaded guy with great big ears. And he always said, what, me worry? And that's my little icon. You know, God has a plan. Uh, instead of watching CNN news, go watch CBN news and find out what God's plan is and start getting freaked out and flipped out by fake news. And uh, you'll find that God has a plan. I think the best scripture is Amos 3, 7. It says that I will now not allow anything to happen until I speak unto my servants, the prophets. Servants, the prophets means they're servants. They're, they're not self-proclaimed um, somewhat narcissistic people that think they got all the answers. They're people that walk in humility, that understand God has a plan. They've prayed, fasted. Uh, their life has reflected consistency to what they say. They walk the talk and talk the walk. Um, and they have a history of that. And so God has told them and helped us to be prepared for what things are going to happen. Kim Clement is one of them. Uh, David Wilkerson, another. And um, Mark Taylor, who often now is being you know, called a whack job because all the things you said didn't happen. Yes, they did. You're just not interpreting it or perceiving it in the proper way. Um, you know, God has a plan. We need to stay plugged in and understand what he's doing to understand why some things seem so strange to us. Um, That's good. I had a couple of questions kind of relating to, I mean, I have a lot of questions, but <laughs> one of the one that comes to mind on hollow earth is, is there, do you see a big difference between hollow earth and flat earth in that whole uh, realm of thinking? Yes, I do. I, I did. A video one time on why a flat earth um i make it almost sound like i'm leaning towards that area and i am absolutely not and it's not because whether the earth is flat or round it's the cosmology that would have to apply to a flat earth as opposed to a round earth um but you have to understand we read left to right they read right to left so when you're doing a bible study you can't just use a concordance 
and look up one thing and go, see, that's what that's what it is. Isaiah, I think it's 19th chapter. I could be wrong, but it's somewhere early in, in Isaiah's chapters. One that everybody uses to prove that the earth is flat. It says that it is fixed and immovable. And so they're going, see, see, it's the center of the earth. It's flat and everything's revolves around it. There's a dome around the earth and blah, blah, blah. No. When anything is, uh, there's, there's a way the Jews write the Bible. It's called partis. And it's an acronym for four different levels, like onion, like layers of an onion. And that's why we can get so much out of one scripture. Because once you understand partis, which is not taught in any Bible institute in the West, I don't know why. I think it's part of the corruptedness that Satan has done. You know, everybody thinks he's uh, going to attack and work through the militaries. No, his biggest work is attacking the church and getting instilled in every major institution to prevent certain things from being known. And to also get into industry. <laughs> that we're finding out more. If you find a find a, uh, where some of the cor corruption, some of the global elite, and all the conspiracies happen, follow the money trail. You'll see where it yeah. goes. Money trails don't lie. Neither do plain black and white statistics on on different uh, utilizations or misutilizations of corporations and companies. This is where you follow the money trail, and you can find out who's really the movers and shakers moving this earth. And some people you don't even know their names, but they are the major puppet masters behind all of the orchestration of uh, wars and many other things that happen. And uh, once you understand from there, it, it gives you an eye opener. Uh, Ralph Epperson wrote a book, The Un Unseen Hand, probably one of the most, I consider it a basic primer. He's a Christian. Um, he has some very controversial perceptions on history, but he can prove it, everything backed by experience, by real history and by the word of God. So it's pretty incredible stuff. And I, I tell everybody I got it set up in my museum that way that here's one of the essential things you want to read. If you want to have a basic primer of how there really is a global conspiracy, the best scripture for that is in um, Revelations, I think is 10th. Am I going to get it? I don't biblically dyslexic. I used to know it like this, but at 70, it's coming a little bit slower. Probably chemtrails and not just old age, but we got everything working against all of us on short term revenue laws. And uh, so it is that there are 10 horns. Uh, you know what? I'm going to look it up on my book here and it'll be a lot quicker. I'll just give a direct quote. Yeah. There are 10 horns, which you saw are 10 kings, which have received no kingdom yet, but receive power as kings one hour with the beast. They have one mind and shall give their power and strength to the beast. There's a conspiracy right there. Uh, now, isn't it amazing that the uh, United Nations has the earth carved out into 10 sections? Mm. And so, uh, you know, you look at this scripture, and you look at that current events. Gee, 10 sections. Who are going to be the leaders of those 10 sections? Well, I assume that it's going to be one of the 10 horns. So these 10 horns, this isn't these aren't nations uh, being described. They were, there's been a lot of ideas that that uh, these were nations. But when you look back in Revelation 17, 12, and 13, this is where it's coming from. Um, it's definitely prior to that. It's talking about uh, him being a major leader as one who is, um, who is, who is not, and yet is. This is someone who is alive, dies, and he comes back again. But he doesn't come back again under the graces of God and his provision, having Jesus Christ. They've circumvented that. How did they do that with uh Modern technology that we're just now getting, which really isn't so modern because it was the same thing was going on in Genesis 6, where they were tampering with modifying and adjusting and mixing uh, 
human genes with animals and having all these mythological characters. They weren't myths. They were an element of truth that existed back um, in the scriptures. Uh, in, in Hebrew, it says, and, and, and the whole world was uh, corrupted in its way. When you go back to the Hebrew and look there, it's talking about what was corrupted. They were altered in their normal path of production. So in other words, they were being genetically modified into something else. And so this is what is starting to happen now. We're, you know, we're mixing machine and man. We're mixing um, animals and, and people. I mean, there's spider goats. And I don't mean that there's eight-legged goats walking around, but they have taken the, the ability for a spider could spin a web and given it to a goat to make Kevlar quality silk. So they combine, you know, the silkworm with, with the, um, with this spider and a goat and so a goat is sitting there consuming and then spinning out huge amounts of uh kevlar to make either you know bomb proof tires or uh the best to save the lives of our soldiers so these things appear to have a good reason for them but we're manipulating genes and stuff that is crossing the barrier of god says you know not to do that and here we are doing it and as noble sounding as it is, it always has a nefarious side to it, too, to where you can make all kinds of Frankenstein weird stuff. Uh, several nations, you know, it, it was supposed to be an international agreement that we were not going to mix human uh, DNA with with animal DNA. But the Japanese were the first to say, well, we're going to do it anyway. I don't, you know, why? Well, because we can. Just like yeah, soon. And, um, and then everyone freaks out because if one person's doing it, then they're worried that they're well, going to get far ahead of them, right? Right, exactly. And the thing, too, is any scientist that's a purist scientist, they're, if you can think of it, they're going to do it. My God, that's what they said right in Genesis 10th chapter, talking about the Tower of Babel. That wasn't some building program to climb God, you know, climb up and pull God down from the heavens. It was a, an information center collecting and retaining all the memories of before the flood to try to build. Uh, let, it says, this they must, this they do, and now anything that they put their minds to, they will accomplish. That's a lot. What what would what would make that have that kind of power? Well, uh, altering human genetics, also having the ability to travel space, time, or dimension. That's what they were talking about. That's what the Tower of Babel was all about, too. One person understood it and started collecting all over the world the different pieces from legends, myths, and that was Adolf Hitler and the SS Anunnab, headed by Heinrich Himmler. Um, well, they did all kinds of freaky, weird stuff. But, you know, when you start thinking outside the box and doing things outside the box, you're going to find out stuff that no one else does know. That's why people like you, myself, and most of us that have gravitated to trying to find these mysteries. Um, and I, I, I know you're going to agree with me. If you're told to go and follow the crowd, what's the first thing you're not going to do? Well, yeah, I'm definitely, I'm going to ask a lot of questions before I do, and I most likely won't end up following the crowd for sure. Uh, what I, I've always, okay, okay, the crowd's going there, I'm standing back, and I'm going to watch to see when it all makes a big mess, because if history hasn't taught us anything, and what the Bible says, for uh, broad is the way and wide is the path that leads unto destruction, and many there be that find their way therein, but narrow is the way, and small are the people that find the straight and narrow path. So I just naturally inclined. I'm going to go. I'm not going to follow the masses. I'm going to wait and see what kind of train wreck results from it so that I don't make the same mistake. So if yeah. you tell me to zig, I'm going to zag. You know, even the way I present any of the stuff that God has given me, I don't say, hey, God gave this to me. It's a revelation. You've got to believe it. 
Because the first time anybody comes to me and says that, that's the last thing I'm ever going to believe. And if you tell me I got to do this because God told me, I'm probably going to do the opposite just because I don't like to be told what I'm going to do and what I can't do in the name of God. I don't believe it. So for me, I present everything this way. Here's a possibility that things could be this way. So just be exposed to the idea. Put it in the back of your mind. I'm not telling you to make a commitment. But if I'm right, you have a reference for it, a biblical reference, a historical reference, an archaeological reference, a current event rec uh, reference. If I'm wrong, I haven't asked you to buy my special tinfoil hat so the aliens can't read your mind. I haven't wanted your firstborn. I haven't required anything but a little bit of time. So all you've lost is a little bit of time, but at least you've been exposed to a different idea that might come in handy somewhere down the road. And if not, no harm done one way or another. I haven't misled the masses and had them come to my Kool-Aid party or anything. So yeah, I think that I can, you know, the reason I can do that is because I have so much confidence in what God has told me. I don't have to prove it. I don't have to sell him like an encyclopedia said. If it's truly him, he's got my back. He will verify it in time to everyone that's heard it. All I got to do is plant the seed. And then if it's real, God will water it. It'll come to fruition. And if it's not, you know what? I don't want to be misleading anybody. I don't care about my reputation, what people think of me. I want to hear only two things. From man, I want to hear, and Jim Wilson completed all that God had for him, and he went home. And I want to hear, well done, thou good and faithful servant. I don't care what anybody else says about me. It doesn't matter. I care about what God says about me. Yeah, yeah, and at the end of the day, no one should be relying on the knowledge of man, the knowledge of us. They should be going to God and confirming it for themselves and doing their own research, which we highly recommend everyone do. Um, and so on the topic still of hollow earth, would you say that uh, the way you see it and understand it is that we are on sort of a ball and like on the outside of it? And yeah, it is, and it is spinning and all of that, like they tell us. Yep. It's uh, well, that's where. In the scriptures, it, it says that something is fixed and immovable. But whenever anything is prophetic, the, the Hebrews will always use, always use the nouns, but then they will, in the further part of the sentence, in the same uh, maybe uh, uh, text of thought, they are going to also use it as a verb or an adverb to define further what is fixed and immovable. So when you go to the whole entire text, context of what it's given there it says that what is fixed and immovable is a rotation and an orbit that ends all the discussion right there as far as flat and round and the fact you know what verse that is by chance um isaiah oh i don't have it in my book this was before i uh, this uh, i wrote the book 25 26 years ago this was more recent i think around 2011 28 or 9 or something like that when i understood uh this part so i haven't written it down i'm i'm in the process of updating a, a beyond science fiction part two um we're right now we're still working on awesome. a couple of it. but uh it's going to have more of the um how quantum physics actually verifies everything that we hold dearest and true to uh to what the scriptures say and how quantum physics ties in and actually fits like a glove to everything that we hold the dearest. Um, the fact that we're not even living in a real world, it appears to be a 0101 computer program. You better believe it. There's silicon life and carbon life. Carbon life is God's, silicon is the imitation. We're literally living in a computer matrix. 
uh, we're getting more and more sci-fi movies and everything about parallel dimensions. And um, that's what CERN is all about. It's bringing in other dimensions. But are they other dimensions of us? You know, the fact is there's only one you, there's only one me. Everything else of a variation. And there's, I believe in the multiverse that for every person, what they do or don't do creates this little mini universe based around that. That's how the ripple effect of sin is. It's it's layers and layers of hell in a rippling effect that goes almost etern uh, almost to infinity. So as we conform our lives to Christ, some of these implode and be no longer in existence. And so it breaks, it starts breaking down. But there may be a time when that manipulation may actually be done um, by us. But I'm getting off on a bunny trail here because I there there's there that stuff that I'm working on with a few people on this planet and we're coming to some pretty amazing um possibilities but right now at this point we have more questions than we have answers so that's that's put on the back burner even for us right now but uh, is this but, the verse you were talking about isaiah 45 18 for this is what the lord says he who created the heavens he is god he who fashioned and made the earth he founded it he did not create it to be empty but formed it to be inhabited Yes, that is one of the scriptures. There's several others that can also verify the same context. The other one is in, I think, like Isaiah, uh, real little, I think 19 or somewhere around there. Um, maybe yeah. after back, I'll do my homework and find it specifically. Yeah, about, we'd love but, to have you back and we can dive deeper into that for sure. The, is, the videos are out there. I've got one on it and it has all the scriptures references for it. It's called Why a Flat Earth. And I explained that, the Mandela effect, the facts that some things are real. Um, but they're non-earth shaking, non, they don't alter the cosmos in any way. Whenever you have a lie, uh, yes, uh -huh, that's another good one. Yep. Yeah, so there's lots of verses and people, you know, I feel like people can interpret them differently. Um, so I guess another question that always comes up is like the firmament, the firmament, right? Is so when you're looking up, people will often theorize that the stars and everything is within the firmament would you say that that's uh not how you see it uh, that's absolutely not how i see it okay. uh there's two scriptures and see the thing is there is an outer space there heaven shamayam is in the hebrew is just a general word used for heaven but it uses it for the earth uh atmosphere around the earth they use it for the second level of heaven, which would be what we see in our uh, telescopes, stars, planets, um, galaxies. And then the third heaven is apart from time itself. It's where God dwells. It's separate from uh, space and time. It's separated by dimension. And he lives outside of time. So everything is simultaneously existent, alpha to the omega, beginning to end. He makes everything perfect in his time. And he's able to gather all things unto himself. So... These scriptures give us a hint. Um, Ecclesiastes 3.15, that which is, uh, has been and that which shall be has been, and God requires an account of that which is past. The idea is everything is past where he's at. He sees everything in one uh, thing, like being in a helicopter over a parade. And he can enter into any time period he wants at, any, at his selection. We can't do that. You know, we're bound on the ground. We can only see what's uh, coming or we we can kind of anticipate what's coming ahead. We can see what's already gone and we can see what's in the present, but um, our perception is limited in that way. So that's the difference of heaven and earth. But the mechanics, if, if we live out in a dome and there's um, not really an outer space, 
then I have a problem with two scriptures that tell us prophetically that someday we would colonize other planets. Obadiah 4, because there's only one chapter in Obadiah. So Obadiah 4 says, Though thou exalt thyself as the eagle, and though thou shalt set thy nest amongst the stars, thence will I bring thee down, saith the Lord. Now, to make a nest amongst the stars in the Hebrew literally means to colonize, occupy other planets in space. So it's like you're stuck with that. You can't go around it. It's a reality. Um, are you doing it in a dome? Uh, no. There's three heavens. And one it includes not only other planets and stars, but galaxies. The vastness of what we see in with a telescope. Now, <clears throat> another proof of that. And I love this one because this ties into something else. Not only are they making a nest amongst the stars and occupying it as a colony. Now in Jeremiah 51:53, it says, Though Babylon should mount up to heaven, and though she should fortify the height of her strait. Fortify, that means you're getting ready to defend it. Where were you defending it from? It says right here. Though you should fortify the height of her strength, yet shall yet from me shall come spoilers under her, saith the Lord. Spoilers. Somebody that's going to overturn or attack and disrupt the colony or colonization existence. The and this goes all the way back, including Nikola Tesla. I don't mean the car guy, I'm talking about the real guy that made all kinds of wild, crazy. Uh, experiments in zero point three energy, uh, anti gravity, anti matter. Uh, he was way ahead of the program. He was doing this in the eighteen nineties. So you can imagine when he died in nineteen forty three, all the goodies that he had probably come up with. Now, if you do some of your homework, and Nikola Tesla was such a wild um, person, yet he was in the twenties and thirties, forties. He was like so famous. He was like uh, the um, the premier genius uh, that. Edison was actually very jealous of, so jealous that he had uh, burned down one of his laboratories. Edison always is, is taught as the uh, founder of electricity and all this stuff, and he was a scoundrel. Uh, yeah, didn't he do stuff with, uh, like, oh, he was causing, harm to, causing harm to animals and stuff, right. trying to prove right. that Nikola Tesla's methods were dangerous and right. such? And yet, so he's killing all these animals to prove to the public, this is how dangerous, you don't want this in your house. Uh, AC alternating current, it's evil, it's weird. And, and yeah. he was trying to push his DC current, which was stupid. And uh, so, but the thing is, he was like a PT Barnum and Bailey. He could sell anything to anyone at any time. And he had that charisma and he had the, the fame also. Nikola Tesla was a purist scientist. He really wanted to enhance and make man's life easier through science. Um, he was a bit naive, maybe trusting man and trusting, you know, people too much. And uh, now, you know, he claims that he got most of his understandings at sleep at night when fiery spirits came to him and literally like downloaded these projects or these ideas. That's why people that worked with him, it was almost unbearable to work with him. It was either my way or the highway. You, you follow this like a recipe. You do not deviate from it. I know we're not going there. This is what we got to do. Why? Because he was just doing what he was told. Now, the sad thing is, it was fallen angels that were giving him all this information. And here he was wanting to use it in the purest way. So mm -hmm. it kind of shows that it's not, you know, whether we get into heaven or not, it's not based on our works. It's on our trust and faith in Jesus. To my knowledge, he didn't trust and believe in Jesus Christ, but he did trust in man 
But unfortunately, that doesn't get you into heaven. I hope that he somewhere in the last minutes of his life, I hope he, I will see him in heaven. I really admire the man, whether he was or wasn't. He still was a very good person who tried to do a lot of good things for people. Um, and he was he was duped. He was used by, you know, the wrong forces. But um, my gosh, you know, there was the uh, in Russia, in tons to Gunstow, Russia, uh, where it something hit and flattened out the trees and destroyed a whole side of a mountain in, uh, in Siberia. Uh, the connections had been made that, Hey, wait a minute. Didn't Tesla fire up one of his coils about that same time? Yeah, he did. That's probably what happened. It was one of his experiments. Um, you know, the man was just so far ahead of everybody and everything at the time. But unfortunately, the wrong people took that into consideration. We kind of just put it on a back burner, but, um, one guy didn't, and he started following all of Nikola Tesla's things. And then, well, in 1938, they were trying to work on radar, making radar work. And they had a mathematical formula, or x-rays, I'm sorry, it wasn't radar, it was x-rays. And they had the mathematical formula, but it wasn't working out right. And they decided, okay, we need to have some new eyes on us. Do we have, know anybody who's a theoretical physicist with an electronics background? Well, Dr. John Trump had that specific two qualities. So they, they brought him in on a program. And within, now they had been working on it for a decade and they couldn't make it work. They brought Dr. John uh, Trump in and in, Three days, he had it solved and x-rays worked. He said, boy, this is our go-to guy, man. This guy is, you know, he's our go-to guy from now on. So when Nikola Tesla died in 1943, they gave and they illegally seized all of his patents, all of his work, every note that he ever wrote. They, The government had everything. They gave it to Dr. John Trump. Dr. John Trump looked through everything and they said, we want you to look through this. And if there's anything for us to be concerned, please let us know. Okay. So he looked through it. And he was amazed at what he was working on and what he saw. And he knew some of this stuff was, he, he knew that, man, we have made a mess just messing up our own timeline. But to be able to travel and mess it up and they're going to weapon, they're, the military, they're going to try to weaponize it. I can't let them know what this stuff says. So when he got back and says, well, um, what do you think? He said, well, you know, I looked it over and everything, but it, most of it is just a lot of mathematical calculations that basically are just gibberish. And uh, they said, okay, thanks. He says, well, do you want me to send this back? No, it's junk. You keep it. <laughs> Dr. John Trump end up, he started getting old in his years in the 70s. So he was concerned that if he died and these notes fall into the wrong hands, they could make a mess of, of everything on earth. So he had a nephew and he trusted his nephew because he knew his nephew loved history, loved America, uh, loved it enough to want to protect it. So his nephew, Donald J. Trump, was given all of Tesla's secrets, every note, everything. Almost immediately, he started an independent company and it was called the looking and he he worked on a project called the looking glass. And it was came from. The idea of uh, Alice in Wonderland and the Looking Glass, but it was based on the 
Nikola Tesla's idea of putting two, um, what was it, two uh, of his uh, coils. And if you stood in the middle of it, you could see past, present, and future all at the same time. Now, I don't know the specific mechanics of it, but I know that it can't be debuked or debunked or refuted. So what the opposing side has done is they said, oh, yeah, well, he did have the technology, but he's gone back and made a mess of everything. And so now he's uh, trying to backtrack and track and cover his own butt. So they can't refute it. So they're spinning off this other side. That's baloney. Uh, Trump. Yeah. Oh, go ahead. I was just going to say, Trump, Trump has had an edge. Have you ever wondered why he seems to have evidence of every postal worker that threw away uh, ballots in dumpsters? Did he seem to know all these other people in their private secret times that nobody should have access to? He's already got photographic evidence, uh, taped audio evidence. All of this stuff is slowly starting to come out because he's cheating. Yeah, he and... <laughs> that gets back to me to me that gets back because it's you know you were talking about how nikola tesla was getting this information from the fiery spirits and you you talked about the fallen angels and one thing i've heard you talk a lot about is the difference between demons and fallen angels yeah uh would you mind going into that a bit because i think that's important for people to understand you know, we have this crazy fantasy idea and i don't know where it actually ever originated from because the original Jews who wrote the Bible understood that there was a physicality to angels. They're just as physical as you and I are. Um, they're not just will-o'-the-wisp spirits that kind of float around in heaven and strum a harp on a cloud or something. I mean, it's just that silly tradition that's been passed down to us, but it's not what the Bible teaches. Um, it says in the, you know, in Deuteronomy and Exodus and, and several other accounts when the children of Israel are wandering through the um the desert for 40 years, which actually what it should have been only a 40 day journey, but it took, you know, uh, kind of like Gilligan's Island, you know, it, it turned into a big mess. They were just walking around in circles for all that time because they didn't have their act together. And so they were given manna to eat. And they were complaining about the manna at one time and to the point where, uh, you know, it just, it was ridiculous. Well, in, in Psalms, it says that did they not eat manna, the corn of heaven, the food of angels? You can't take that back. In the original Hebrew, it means what it says. What does that say? There's, there's got to be some kind of physicality there. Does that mean we have uh, angel outhouses up in heaven? Well, you know, I, I don't know, but, you know, they're physical and they ate food. So they had to pass it through. So, yeah, they're very physical entities. But what about, what about these spirits? Well, you know, before the flood, you were able to follow the con your conscious, let your conscious be your guide. Pretty much, it, God had imputed into everybody what was right and what was wrong. But after the flood, all of a sudden, they needed a law to tell them what was right and wrong. You know why? Because all of these hybrid entities that should have never been and were never meant to be were destroyed and killed in the flood. But guess what? They're disembodied spirits. The scriptures back this up. They are incorporeal disembodied spirits who long to be back in a body. So how do they do that? They come up and down in a cycle. Uh, when Peter says that they're bound in chains in everlasting darkness, when you look at the word for chains, it doesn't. We always think that they're shackled in chains in a pit somewhere. The chains is a process of going up and going coming back down, and it's almost like by their choice that they can come up, and then they're forced back down. 
when we entertain anything outside of God in the form of an occult, and you could sit there and spin a pencil and say, okay, if it goes this way, it means this. And if it goes that way, that's circumventing God's laws. It says no div divination, no kind of stuff like that. So if you do that, you're opening up portals to allow these things to come up voluntarily, and they come up. Now, somebody else that knows the authority in Christ, you can command that thing to get back down to hell where it belongs. That is the cycle or the chain of going up and down. So we have incorporeal demons that are seeking a body to use so that they can go and have their fun and everything like they used to have. And so that's why people can become demonized. Um, they usually create a trauma in your life. And at this trauma point, they're able to enter in. I've done um, addiction counseling, uh, pioneering one of the first evangelical Christian motorcycle clubs. Um, we dealt with cross addictions. We dealt with uh, hedonistic lifestyle, multiple sexual partners and all kinds of stuff. So I've done counseling on that level for all of that kinds of stuff. And I know what works uh, in a way of counseling and I'm actually you know, quite experienced in, in deliverance. So when I got into the whole UFO alien thing, this is just a different outer veneer, but the same demonic entities that are working the same kind of demonic tricks. So I just transfer my knowledge over from that into a different venue. I'm not doing anything different than what I did when I was working with earthbound heavenly people. Now I'm working with people that have been kidnapped by fallen angels or demonized by the incorporal spirits. There's a different way to approach either one of them. I know the difference only because God taught me and showed me how. So I, you know, in all the time that I've been studying, researching the UFO alien thing, actually living in Roswell, New Mexico for four years, um, you know, I've, I've discovered a very simple, easy way to be able to have people first find the entry points, get the inner healing, and then I don't kick these things out. I show them that they have the authority if they're a Christian. If they're not a Christian, there's, I can't even begin to do anything. I can't help them until they become a Christian. If they can become a Christian, we can go the next step, and then we can let the Lord do it uh, you know, through me from what I know. But what I found a better way is that I actually, when I'm doing uh, alien abduction counseling, I have the person, once they understand how it got in and what its function is, I have, I quote scriptures and I have them pray with me and quote them. And then I have, tell them, okay, you tell them, you quote this scripture, you tell them you don't accept their lies anymore. You don't want them. And you tell them to get out of your uh, body, get out of your mind and quit vexing your spirit and the Holy Spirit. And I let them do it. What this does is it takes their eyes off of me. Oh, Jim, well, it's past Jim. He, he told me everything I need. No, I don't want to tell you everything you know. Let God tell you. You take the authority. You are a child of God. God is not a respecter of people. He has given everyone that is born again the ability to have everything that Jesus had. It's his pleasure to give us a kingdom. We can walk with that kind of authority. You can learn on your own to kick these things out. You have the authority. So by letting me do that for them, all of a sudden, what a bolster it is to their their um, faith. They know that, my gosh, I have I let that jerk bug me for most of my life, and I had the power to kick him out? Wow. Then the next thing you know, they're, they're working with other people. I mean, this is not rocket science. Yeah, you don't have to be a good. psychologist. It's so simple. That's where God is so awesome. I mean, he can be so complex and have all these intricate things work out. So Romans 8.28 really comes out where... He can work everything out. He's got things planned now, but he's always seeing the ripple effect maybe centuries down the road. He's setting it all up all in one act. So that can be complicated. That can be something you have to study and, and work hard for. But the actual deliverance and getting set free, it's so simple. All of it is so simple. Even a child can understand it. 
That's how marvelous our God is. And his love is so simple to just embrace it and accept it. You can't earn it. You can't work for it. You can't learn it. You just simply accept it by faith. So, you know, sorry to get real preachy, but I mean, you know, the thing is that it, um, it is awesome. It's, it's fun. Um, sometimes long hours, it can be enduring, but you know what, when you see someone get totally set free from an addiction that, that has bound them up for years, I mean, it's just, it makes it all worthwhile. Um, can I dive into the, um, that a little bit more? So when a lot of people I've heard talk, you know, when we talk about fallen angels and stuff still being here or the Nephilim or any mm -hmm. of those kind of uh, categories, people will say, well, does that mean that God failed when he sent the flood? You know, like were they not uh, wiped out? Do you have any sort of response to that or any insight? The Bible says that the whole world had become corrupted. Now we know that the majority of people were normal people, but there was a corruption what was the corruption? Enhanced humans. The ability to genetically create everybody to be a genius. Everybody to be to have blue eyes or blonde hair, whatever you want. You know, they can tweak it and custom make it so that the rich can just give a checklist and say, okay, this is what I want in my kid. And get it. And you can. Guess what? <clears throat> We're here again doing the same thing. Mm -hmm. Right now, there's the elite that can have custom-made children with certain traits genetic traits and make sure that certain other genetic traits aren't there. We have that kind of tech technology. Now it's not science fiction. There was a, a picture, uh, a movie made <clears throat> years ago, just as we were starting to break ground in, in cloning and everything. And I'm trying to remember the name of it. It's going to senior citizen moment is going to, you know, I'll remember this at three o'clock in the morning when it no longer matters, <laughs> but um, it was, it was on the idea like a futuristic uh, program where the norms, as they were called, were people that were only allowed to be menial task labor. But the ones that were genetically selected, it formed a new class of citizenship where they were the ones that would be the engineers, the astronauts. Well, this one guy was dying and he was <clears throat> going to be an astronaut. And he knew this person who was one of his servants and he really liked the man. And he saw that the man had great capabilities. So they swapped blood and did everything. So he allowed this normal to become an astronaut. And when they discovered at the last minute, after he achieved major accomplishments, that he was a norm, that just disrupted the whole society. We can't allow this to happen. But it was too late. It already happened. And it kind of, so it was the beginning of an erosion that, hey, norms can do the same as the genetic advanced. So... This is what happened before the flood. There was a lot of genetic enhancements going, but they were fully normal humans. But the Bible says that the whole world was corrupt, except for Noah and his family. And of course, Enoch. So Enoch was taken. He, uh, Enoch walked with God, so he was taken and was not. And pretty much all it says about that. But, oh, wow, he walked with God. That must be some kind of special thing. So they don't look at Noah. And it says, for Noah was accounted, was accounted as righteous because he walked with God. But there's nothing special about that. Noah had to stay and go through the flood. So they hold one in high esteem and then the other one, um, <clears throat> you know, I mean, what's the first thing he did after after the water subsided and, you know, uh, they got off on the land? He got schnickered drunk, man, on wine. Why? I mean, you know, I think I probably would too after everything that I went through going through 40 days and 40 nights of uh, a total world being destroyed. 
Um, but he was accounted righteousness because he believed in God. He walked in, by faith. So there's so one there, Sorry, were there other living uh, or beings, do you think, that survived the flood? I think that's where the, con oh, yeah. the, the conflict is because it's, yeah. people will say, well, if it seems like the Bible is saying that only Noah and his family survived, then how do how come? Because then there's also that verse that said, talks about the um, uh, they were here now and they will be here later, talking about the yeah, men of renown or whatever. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I got a great answer for that. And I have a total okay. answer. It's ironclad. You can't dispute it um, if you use all the rules of uh, interpretation for the Bible. Um, Cain was sentenced to wander in the land of Nod, east of Eden. He was afraid of being caught and captured, so he was removed from the face of the earth in the earth. So the pre-flood uh, pre giants were as tall as 30 foot. Now, God said that he put a mark and a seal upon Cain so that he would be protected. The mark was some kind of a supernatural act. The seal was a special protection. Now, the fact that we had 30-foot giants living inside the earth, normal people on the outside of the earth, I don't care how skilled or what kind of weapon you have, if you don't have a grenade launcher or something, a 30-foot giant, and you could be the best martial artist in the world. It'd be like Indiana Jones with the sword guy. And he just pulls out his uh, 44. It just blows the guy away. Dan with that. So if you're 30 foot tall and you, they're doing all kinds of fancy stuff, getting ready to whoop your butt, all you do is just raise your foot and step and squish the little tiny human. So this is what is recorded. Matter of fact, after they started eating up most of the agricultural stuff, they started eating other people, which horrified even, you know, even the, the leaders of the world at that time. So there was a lot of crazy stuff going on. Um, what I love about that is you look at all of the pre-flood uh, remains, they're all fossilized. There's no mummified. There's no uh, bleached bones. They're all fossilized, which means that had to be the result of a flood, massive burial of, of, of organic material. And then it's slowly being uh, right down microscopically, each cell being replaced by rock making a fossil. And so they were the result of the flood, these 30 foot giants. Now, where did the rest of them go? Well, gee, they were actually told by God to be in the earth. Well, they came up because they heard that something appeared to come from space to the earth. Hey, this must be our time. We know something's going to happen like that someday. We know that we're really coming from, but there's going to appear to be something coming from the heavens onto earth. This could be it. Okay, sent out a contingency, maybe 200 um, of Cain's descendants who are giants. They come out, and so they're on the earth in those days. And... When they saw what was going to happen, the flood and everything, it's, okay, time to go back home. Come on, guys, book. We're going back down. The fact is that all these fossil remains of these 30-foot giants, they're all male Caucasians. All male Caucasians. Why Caucasians? Well, Cain was probably um, from that genetic line. Why I can make that claim? When you look at uh, um, after the flood, the three sons, Ham, Japheth, and uh, Shem, uh, Japheth was considered the founding, found, I guess we were all rainbow people until after the flood. And then all of a sudden we had three separate races. I say the three separate races were all the way through back to the garden of Eden. Uh, the first two being twins, Cain and Abel. Cain has the same attributes as Japheth. 
They were the first to build cities, first to create, you know, all these different things. There's such a co genetic connection on tendencies and predisposition. It has to be that. Um, Abel was the first prophet. Abel isn't mentioned in any kind of lineage because there would be no dispute. If he was uh, the twin to a uh, fraternal twin to Cain, Shem came afterwards. Um, he was from the Semitic line, so it was proven that would be where the Messiah came from. So you better believe they were giving you every uh, genetic part of that. And they were also giving Cain's because he would be the one in dispute trying to get firstborn entitlement and, and rights. And yet the first four generations forfeited their firstborn rights. So we're seeing a pattern here of what God is trying to show us, that firstborn rights don't mean anything doing right or doing wrong. It, he told Cain, had you not obeyed me, would I have not have blessed you? But you disobeyed. Therefore, sin has crouched like an animal to, to come upon you. In the Hebrew, it actually means that it, it permeated his essence. After he killed Abel, the first murderer, he was no longer redeemable. Something came into him and permeated him. So he was removed from the face of the earth, put in the, inside the earth, and those residents and offspring, now it's funny, there's only mention to five generations. When you consider um, they lived to be 900 some years up above Earth, Methuselah being the oldest, 969 years, um, a one year to a thousand might be the ratio that is there that Peter alluded to. So, underneath the Earth, there's there was this would be the last generation to fulfill that. I took how Chuck Missler took the um, from Adam to Noah, and it. Each name spelt out the gospel. Um, I took the, I did the same thing to Cain's, and it was pretty interesting because I found a story for them that um, was almost the same thing. And I'm searching right now as I'm talking to see how I can find it in my book. I might not, but I can somewhat. Um, Okay, I, I'm not going to find it. Basically, um, now I'm even having, what was I even, please. Well, that's okay. Can, can I go ahead and uh, kind of follow yeah. up on that? So yeah. are you saying that um, essentially the way you see it is that there were already giants in the earth before the yeah. flood happened? Um, it wasn't necessarily that they like knew about it and were going to hide there, but that's just where they were and where they lived, essentially. Um, yeah, they had their and, own somewhat prophecies based on Helena Blavatsky's secret doctrine. They so that is just a recording of what, even though she was came on the scene on like in eighteen thirty four to about eighteen eighty nine was her her time of writing all her books, and the one gave prophecies that the Nazis end up taking as as prophetic utterances of their genetic line and what would happen with them, they believed that they were directly related to a pure strain that lived in the earth, and they were the deluded strain that would once again unite with them and take over the world. That was their plan. That was Helena Blasky's plan. Well, these giants are living in the earth, they knew that. They knew those plans because they were the ones that pass it on through demonic influence to Helena Blasky. So these, I call them Nazi prophecies, but they were, you know, basically... Um, they followed the secret doctrine as their Bible. This is what led them to do and believe and practice everything that they did. Um, 
not that she necessarily promoted violence, but that he was Hitler was just being more pragmatic. We're not going to wait for natural selection. We're going to go ahead and manipulate and have it all happen in my time and my generation or whatever. Um, but yeah, um, the the giants just merely went back into the earth where they were, you know, where they were sentenced to. This was their entitlement. It says that all the surface of the earth was destroyed. It didn't say anything about inside the earth. It said the okay. surface of the earth. And that's, you know, important little details like that are yeah. important. And, and getting on that same note, um, I wanted to talk about this Job verse because I found it super interesting. I, I like to read the YLT version, the Young Literal Translation. Mm -hmm. And in Job 1.7, I'll just go ahead and read it here. It says, And Jehovah saith unto the adversary, Whence comest thou? And the adversary answereth Jehovah and saith, From going to and fro in the land and from walking up and down on it. But then in Job 2.2, 2, it says, And Jehovah saith unto the adversary, Whence camest thou? And the adversary answers Jehovah and saith, from going to and fro in the land and from walking up and down in it. So here you have two examples of, of, of very similar verses, but really the only word that's changing is on it and in it. And yep. so I know that you have um, sort of a background of the knowing the like literal translations or the original uh, translations. Um, but do you have any insight on this? Well, to and fro literally means walking, you know, across, you know, the land, to and fro. Um, up and down, it literally means going up and down, you know, inside the earth and outside of the earth, uh, which now it says that one is covered by ice and the other one is seasonally open. Um, the only places that you cannot go to um, anywhere is try to try to go across um once you get, once you're flying over the Antarctic, if you get too close to the base at Little America, where, where we have our base, um, you're not allowed to go beyond that point because beyond that point is 144 mile opening, covered by ice right now, so you don't actually see it. But you still can't even drive; you can't fly over it, probably because of the uh, magnetic anomalous things that are going to happen once you do, which indicates that there's something more here, something weird going on with polarity in the north seasonally there's a gaping hole 144 mile wide hole that can be seen anywhere by anyone but try to go through it you'll your vehicle will get shot down if you don't obey the orders that you cannot travel through this they'll give you an alternate route to go around it it's okay to go around it but you can't go through it and the only international agreements that have ever been fully agreed upon was that nobody can claim territorial rights exclusive territorial rights around the North Pole, or around the South Pole. Um, so everybody that can afford to have a, an encampment there has one. So, I mean, all the nations have their own little bases and camps around both openings of the holes. Why? Because they know there's something there of a connection or they know there's something more there and they're, they're sitting, waiting and monitoring what's going to happen because they know someday something is going to happen. And I know it from uh, Revelation's ninth chapter what we call the locust invasion that comes up um, out of the ground and it's coming up out of the South Pole. Because in context in Job, it talks about uh, the, eat, the hawk flying to the, the, uh, the so southernmost point in the world. Well, you can't get any south in the South Pole and the hawk represents a military flight. And I'm, my claim is that's describing the, the fleeing Nazis and a base 211 that they had made in Queen Maud land 
uh, in the Antarctic. And the interesting thing in Queen Laudland, there's three islands right in that area trailing off into the ocean on the continent. The first one is named Delta. The second one is named Omicron. And the third one is named Coronation. Now, some of us know that the whole globe is charted out like a computer program. Every city has a second meaning to it. Every location of that city has an electromagnetic grid meaning to it. All of this can be read. I, now, I have learned this maybe 10 years ago and began studying it, but I studied it with my friend uh, David Flynn, who wrote the Chronicles of Mars, The Secret Hidden, uh, or Sidona, The Secret Hid Hidden Chronicles of Mars. He saw the world on a level that most of us don't. He actually could read the matrix. He understood it. Um, he put a lot of this down in his first book and then in his second book, uh, uh, Journey to the Center of Time. Um, and I still have yet to finish reading all of that. Uh, but uh, he has a twin brother, Dave, who's continuing on his ministry. But I, my claim is he was taken out by the government because he knew too much. And he was a very prominent, very well-known person in his day and in his time. He was also a very personal friend of mine. And... Uh, did he, didn't he work with the government too? Uh, well, his brother, his twin brother, Dave, was a uh, cryptologist. He is the mm -hmm. guy who defends us from the Chinese, from any other hostile enemy. He works for the government on the highest level of protecting our uh, computer systems. Now, so Dave probably would have been tracking them pretty closely, I guess. Oh, yes. point. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> now, and Dave, he was a, um, he had two master's degree. One was in child psychology and the other one, um, it escapes me. I think it had more to do with theoretical physics or whatever, but uh, brilliant, brilliant man. Um, I happen to know, you know, they, they had an IQ higher than uh, Einstein. And uh, we hit it off good because I was one of the few people who could actually understand what he was saying. I didn't have to repeat it more than once. But God's gifted me with a pretty good brain too. So uh, not that high though, but um enough to keep up with him. And uh, we became good friends. And eventually he asked me, he says, you know, because of the nature of what I do and everything, I can't even find a church where they will allow me to stay too long once they know what I'm doing. He says, I, I don't have anybody to use as a sounding board. Would you be my pastor? Well, when I first started getting into this, he had a website at 16 years old. I didn't know he was just a kid at that time, but still it didn't matter. This guy had brilliant information and it was confirming a lot of what I had come what the Lord had showed me as conclusions. So we developed a friendship and then we finally got to meet in Roswell for the first ancient of days conference in 2003. I think it was, we became really good friends. Um, and, uh, then I ended up becoming more of a, a, a pastor for him, a sounding board and, uh, really had a great relationship. We started working on something together. Now I was not that well known, but I think God was keeping me under the radar at that time so that I would still be alive today. Now he's told me that this is kind of like my coming out party. I don't have to fear about saying anything anywhere, anytime to anyone. He's got me supernaturally protected. And now I'm coming to the fullness of, of what he's called me for. So um, I and I have no fear and I probably should at times. But I guess it probably it comes from the neighborhood that I grew up in and, and uh, my military experience pretty much took away most of the fear that I ever had, at least of man. Um I'll have reverence for God, not I won't be afraid of him because he loves me, but I'll have a reverence for him and want to make sure that he's leading every step of the way. My brain can be the biggest brick wall between me and him if I don't lay it at the, his feet and say, you guide me. I don't I don't want to ever 
become so self-sufficient that I think I'm, it's all about my abilities. I want you to make sure that you keep me guided. And by doing that, I feel sometimes my life has been like Mr. Magoo. And that's probably somebody you've probably never heard. of. We had a cartoon back in the 60s, late 50s, early 60s. Mr. Magoo was a guy that was, uh, couldn't hardly see anything. And he was always mistaken. And he had a real naive uh, generosity to him. So he would step into all kinds of stuff. And it seemed like um, he's getting ready to step off of a building. You know, he's in an incomplete building and there's just structural steel there and he's ready. And all of a sudden a, a thing swings over and picks up. So he's walking right and didn't know the oblivion around him. That is where I like to see myself sometimes. I Mr. Magoo things. I, you know, I'm, I'm taking a wrong step in, but I'm going, doing it in faith. So God covers me anyway. Am I, I approach, love that. Yeah, God I, I actually do know that one. Um, and I can, I can totally see that as a, as a um, example of how God works. It's just, we're kind of stumbling blindly, but somehow his timing is perfect and he always just puts things right where they need to be. And I totally yep. agree with that. If we're doing it in faith, man, he's always got our back, you know, yeah, no matter good. how we, or naive we might be, you know, and that's the confidence that we can have in his love. You know, he's, he's our protector and provider and, we don't ever have to worry about anything. He's got a plan and he's got it in control. And as long as we know that plan and we stick to his will, we're okay. That's my, my Kevlar, my vaccination. I'm, I got the blood of Jesus flowing through my veins and I don't have to worry about any vaccination. I got the best vaccination in the world. It's the word of God and it's his spirit. That's good. Oh. Oh, so thank you for going over all that. That was awesome. Um, another topic that I wanted to talk about because I know you have a lot of experience with it is sort of the UFO phenomena. And specifically, I've heard you talk about the Stephenville lights. Yeah. Um, and was this something that you were actually like there for? Yes. Or, okay, cool. Would you mind talking a little bit about that? I was, I was there one year after it happened. But um, what I was doing was backtracking some of the research that was already done by MUFON, Mutual UFO Network. At one time, I was a member of MUFON. Uh, they kind of used me as the, the evangelical Christian poster child. See, we're so liberal. We have this evangelical Christian guy, and he's part of our research and investigative team. Yeah, you never let me speak anywhere, and you never let me uh, give me any credit for any of the research I did. But interesting. Yeah. I was there to show them that, see, we're well-rounded. Yeah, right. But I used them as for my purposes, too. I got to know when the first response was on anything. And I would I made sure at that time that I had the money to hop on a plane and go and get there before all the New Agers that were going to start feeding all kinds of ancient alien religion crap. And so I'd be there first to explain to them what the biblical uh, thing was. Now, I was a little late coming on Stevensville Lights, but I had a a pastor friend of mine. I'm going to have to hide this. I'm sorry. Thought I put my phone away. Thought the aliens were coming for you. <laughs> there, I put it into it. I'll call him back later. <laughs> um, where was they? Stevensville Lights. So, I had a, a couple that I had worked in alien abduction, and these were born again spiritual Christians, pastor and his wife. They were familiar with deliverances and doing deliverance, and so they were. The wife had been approached by the mantis type, and she was horrified by it. Uh, she rebuked them. They left. They had to leave. She rebuked him. She knew her authority in Christ. But then she started thinking, why? What did, door did I leave open? How could they come against me? I'm a Christian. What is going on? So she talked to her husband. Her husband, you know, 
prayed about it and everything, and he didn't have a real answer. And he says, this year, go to Roswell, New Mexico, Fourth of July. You're going to meet a man there that will tell you everything that you need to know. <laughs> Guess who was speaking and living there <laughs> that year? Uh, so he went into Roswell, and he was looking for me. I was speaking. I wasn't speaking at the regular um, convention. I had... This was going to be my last year there, and I was giving a speech there that was my final goodbye. I was coming back to Michigan after being there for four years. I really didn't want to leave, but I had to obey the Lord, and he told me to go back home for family, back to Detroit. So I I was doing my job, but I figured I owed it to everybody there to give them one last, um, I guess, warning and preparation. So I pulled out all the stops. There was a lot of corrupted uh compromising going on even within christianity there on the biggest tour your tourist cash cow they had which was the whole you know ufo alien uh crash of 1947 so in a very uncompromising way yet still respectful to everyone i i gave a, a sermon on it and uh first he went to several people that one of them was a major compromiser and he went up to him and says do you know anybody that knows anything about um uh, what was it, Zachariah 5 and UFOs? And the guy looked like he saw a ghost. Yeah, he told me later, he says, well, yeah, there's uh, Reverend Jim Wilson down the street over at uh, Hotel 6 or whatever I was at the time. Uh, he's giving a lecture on that very subject. And so he went over there. We met. Um, we had a great time. He invited me. Uh, now, Stevensville happened that very, I think, that very year. And so he got a hold of me, says, Jim, would you like to come down and do some further investigating on the Stephenville Lights? I saw you wrote your account on it, but would you like to actually interview some of the people that saw everything? And, and I said, yeah, I would. That'd be great. So he set it up. And I went down, I met him, and then we uh, went through and I got to interview Leroy Gaten and a few others. Um, and with Leroy Gaten, he was the officer. Uh, would be equivalent to a police chief just outside an Ereth County, just outside of Stevensville. So I went and talked to him and I could tell he was a, a very, you know, uh, caring, loving person, very patriotic person that loved, you know, America. And, um, but I warned him, I said, you know, I, I showed him, I said, is this what you saw? And, he, and I showed him a picture of the Dygok and he says, yeah, that's exactly what I saw. And those marks, I saw those too. I said, now, and I got it on film and I said, really is it how did the film come out can you see all the marks and you see well they were covered by this red orb covering like a force field around it but yeah you could see the marks and i said you have a film of this and he says yeah and i said can i have one he says well i gave the film to uh, uh what was her name uh, the gal the reporter that was re uh reporting the thing i, I want to say joiner was her name but i'm not sure anyway and she gave it to linda molten Howe. And I go, oh, my God, no. Uh, I said, Leroy, please tell me you made a copy. No. I said, you're never going to get that copy back again. Linda Moulton Howe is a CIA shell. I, I don't, I can't prove it, but I know it. And she's on our, uh, at that time, Art Bell show ended up being George Norrie's show. I was on it one time, never asked to come back because uh, I wouldn't compromise or bend my knee to George Norrie. And, uh, and he comes from my own hometown. I thought we were going to hit it off good, but. So now you're way too biblical for us, Mr. Wilms. So you're going to have to tone it down. I said, I can't tone it down. So you you wanted me here at the last minute to come in to fill in a gap. 
You know, I'm a pastor. If I can't quote the scriptures in relationship to what I know, I'm going to make myself look like a jackass. I'm not a theoretical physicist. I'm not uh, qualified in any other thing other than biblical interpretation. So good for you. Yeah. I said, but, now, if you let me finish out, you're going to find out. I'm not preaching and teaching and telling everybody to shake or bake a turn of iron. I'm quoting the Bible as a narrative for a different perspective. If you don't feel comfortable with it, I'll, I, quit, I can quit right now. And he says, no, 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 we'll give it a try. So at the very end, instead of saying, oh, thank you, Mr. Robinson, we'll have you, he says, click. He just hung up on me. <laughs> <laughs> so I knew I wasn't coming back, but it was well, that. Good for you for sticking to your guns. <clears throat> uh, can, can you give people a, a brief uh, description of what the Diglocka is, just in case they don't, they're not aware? Okay, the, uh, the Diglocka was actually, could only fit maybe one or two people inside, I think. It was a prototype. It was a machine that now the Hanabu and other saucers that they were working on had a mercury vortex implosion engine that only went in one direction. But if you put it in two directions, now the one direction will fold space around the vehicle. That way it can go 12,000 miles, stop on a dime and go in a different direction. But they're separate from the rest of the cosmos in a sense of, of gravity. Now, if you put two going one centripetal and one centripetal, it not only creates a bubble but if you dial in sonically that's why they hum at different pitches and everything it's important if they dial in by harmonics it'll give you space uh, it'll give you length height width and time it sends that through a portal wormhole and you'll end up in not only in uh, the three directions length, height, and width, but time-wise, you may not go anywhere. It's just a different place at the time. You have to have the right address, and it has to be done by sonics. And this is where it ties into the little priest's uh, 12 stones that they wore at the Tablet of Judgment. Um, in, that, in that was what they had to wear when they were handling the Ark of the Covenant, right? They had to have that those 12 yeah. stones. Yeah. Yes, and when they were, whenever they were doing any of the ritual feasts and sacrifices, they had to wear the what they called the Tablet of Judgment. Yeah. Now, it's interesting that uh, the 12 stones represent the 12 tribes of Israel. The 12 tribes' names um, have a prophetic meaning to each name. And the numbers to their names also in biblical numerology. This all lines up. It's amazing. It's incredible. Ezekiel, um, let's see, Isaiah 14th and Ezekiel 28th gives a description of Satan giving these stones, same stones, only they've got 10 of them, not, uh, well, they got nine, you know, he's got nine of them and three of them are left out. And the three that are left out are three things that he will never be. And in all of the calculations and everything, it reads out as a little message. The message that's left for him, now these stones, I always wondered, that is so silly. He's he's given stones, like a bunch of rocks means anything. That doesn't make any sense. In the contextual use, though, it means that these are like an interwoven fence to protect the earth. So what was once used to protect is now going to usurp and hold everything in on a linear time basis. And so the three that he was denied actually meant to be an overcomer, to be a servant, and to be, um, oh, what was the third one? I could run into the other room and get my little chart. I thought I brought everything, and that's the one thing I forgot. Um, to be a servant, oh, to bring life. Now, to bring life, to be a servant, 
and to be an overcomer, that's the three things Satan is never going to be. He's never going to mm, be. An he's never going to bring life. He brings death. And he never, he, he's just the total opposite. So it's like having a recipe and the main ingredients are gone. So this has to do with manipulation of space, time, and, and, and dimension. And so he's got part of a thing. He thinks he's got the whole picture and he doesn't. And the three most significant things he doesn't have, which now through the trusting of angels that have allowed a certain individual to be the spoiler and has the full thing is always one step ahead of Satan. I got, well, I was in special forces when I was in the army. So I got a little tattoo thing here that uh, basically is a kind of a motto. It's like, I got six, six, seven, one step ahead. So none are left behind. The idea of none being left behind is kind of a special forces motto. It's a practice that we do. And part of it is, you know, it's might sound valorous, but when you're on special ops, knowing all kinds of stuff that you don't want the enemy to know, you don't want to leave anybody behind. So they either have to be taken out or they're spared. Right. Uh, it's a tough goal, but you know, that's just the price you're willing to pay to do it. Now with me, I didn't do any of the stuff that you see in the movies. I was in the rear and with the gear because I was in missiles. So, um, I only heard about it, but I didn't actually do it. I stayed right. getting ready to push buttons to, <laughs> I was a 19 year old kid. What did I know? Well, I'm glad God was able to put you in a position where you could see all of that, but still be protected. Yeah, so we can talk with you today. Yeah. So, um, back to the, the Diglaka. So you're basically saying that they were using this for time travel. Is that kind of the, the theory yeah. or the idea? Okay. The time travel um, tool. Do you think Do you think there's any relation to that and what they're doing with CERN and these colliders? Oh, absolutely. Uh, what What this step was, this was a step in time travel. It worked. Three of them appeared over Stevenson, uh, Stevensville, Texas in 2008. One of them, one of them appeared first in uh, 1964 over uh, Kecksburg, Pennsylvania, a little acorn-like shape thing with the same runic language on the bottom uh, crash landed. Now, I don't know which one, but I do know that um, Hitler had, where, where the complex was, Hitler had uh, put out an execution order for everybody there. The Allies and the Russians were coming in towards that area, or actually we were coming in towards the area. We diverted the the uh, Russians to go in ahead and take Berlin. We let them, you know, be the ones to take that because we were more concerned with getting down um, to uh, the area where this uh, complex was a, a, a testing harness called the uh, fly trap. And uh, so they went down there and they were the first to get down there. But before they got there, um, all the Diglacos were missing from the pens. There was nothing left, only blueprints, drawings, and, and we knew the idea. Um, but my mm -hmm. claim is that Hans Kammler was the head of the program. Um, he knew that as soon as he wiped everybody out as ordered by the Fuhrer, that he himself would be wiped out. So he took himself and a couple other, uh, cohorts scientists that he was working with and they escaped Nazi Germany in 1945. Now one, they, they went through the event horizon and somehow because these were still prototypes, they crashed into each other and one bounced out of the wormhole and came into 1965 Kecksburg, Pennsylvania. When they found a Nazi inside of that thing, you better believe they hushed it all up. But they knew sometime, somewhere, someplace, these other two were going to reappear. And in Kecksburg, Pennsylvania, when two diglockas were seen, 
that's why they covered everything up. They knew it was possibly Hans Kammler, the head chief engineer and an SS officer that not only was supervising all the black ops that the Nazis had, he was personally involved as a scientist working on the Diglacus. So he knew the formula, he knew the, uh, the mercury vortex uh, ideas and everything. So he would probably be the most wanted person by both the Nazis, the today Nazis, and um, um, anybody in our government through Operation Paperclip that, that knew exactly what was going on. They, he was the most sought man. So, and I'm looking at uh, when Leroy Gaten was saying he saw these spaghetti lights and then he saw uh, jets chasing after what looked like kind of, you know, these two things in a, in a bubble, which described as a Diglaka. And then after that, a few days later, these mild wide ships were silently like scanning the area looking for something. And I said, Lord, what am I looking at? And this is, he told me all of what I just shared with you. Um, later on, I could find scripture that could back up some of it, not all of it, but I've learned to know his voice and when he's talking. And when I pray and I say, Lord, give me some evidence, then all of a sudden, sometimes I'll see it on a sci-fi movie, but it'll be exactly what I see in the scriptures, exactly what the Lord had told me by his spirit. So for me, that's verification good enough for me. Anybody who's been led of the spirit in that way, they know what I'm talking about. Anyone else that doesn't probably thinks I'm the most fruit loop, that crap crazy person they ran into. And that's okay. You can think what you want. I'm going to keep planting the seeds. Um, I've been called a nut before and, um, you know, it's going to be nothing new for me. I, I don't care. I don't mind sticking myself out, making myself look foolish for Christ because God's got my back. And eventually all this stuff's going to catch up with itself. They're going to go, wow, that guy was, he was right. Yeah. Well, like you said, you've been talking about this stuff for a while and now people are just starting to kind of realize, oh, maybe there's actually something to this, right? Well, you know, I had to get used to this because I'm used to being laughed at and rejected. You know what? Yeah. I, I, I want, I hate to cut this short, but it'll let, um, in about 10 minutes, I got to be somewhere else. I had an appointment. I didn't realize it was time was getting by. Oh, okay. Yeah, totally get it. We'll have to have you back on. I really appreciate it, Jim. Thank you so much. Is there anything else you want to leave people with? I'm going to go ahead and throw your website down here at the bottom echoes of Enoch.com. Uh, is there anything else you want to leave the people with? You know, if you want to make any personal responses, and actually right now, because my website is going under some reconstruction, some things work. Okay. But uh, under my name, Facebook, I unfortunately, since uh, uh, YouTube cut me off, Facebook is the only way to get a hold of me for most current things. Just look for my name um, on the thing and you'll find it. It's just under Jim Wilhelms. So you look there, you find it, and you can have some day-to-day uh, -day routine dialogue with me. I answer all my email. So... Uh, you can email, email me at awitness41 at aol.com. That's A-W-I-T-N-E-S-S, the number four, the number one at aol.com. And you can always get a hold of me that way. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Jim. This has been great. I hope you have a good rest of your day and stay safe out there. All right. God thank bless. You. God bless. Bye. Peace. In the life, got him shaking in the booth. The truth is in the life, got him shaking in the booth. But I'm praying for him, praying for him, praying for him too. If your spirit's straight before the clouds of party, 